Welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And our show is located on the ancestral lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumseh Sequatmon territory within the unceded traditional lands of Sequatmon Ulu. And today's text, Reservation Dog Season 2, was filmed on location in Okmulgee, Oklahoma, the traditional home of the Osage, Quapaw, Caddo, Kickapoo, and Muscogee Creek peoples. Okmulgee has also been the capital of the Muscogee Creek Nation since 1868. Joe! Mm hmm. I was so excited for this one, and I was really pleased, but I think you are feeling a little bit differently about season two, and so I think we're going to have a good conversation today. Yeah, yeah. I was messaging you in the early parts of the season, and I was expressing a little bit of frustration because it did feel like the show had almost moved away from our res dogs, and we were focusing a lot more on guest stars and adults, and I was feeling... A little disconnected with mm. where the show was heading. I'm happy to say that the back half of the season did come together much more strongly for me. And it had a couple of really standout episodes. I think overall, the show is growing and evolving. And I was resistant to where it was heading. But in <laughs> hindsight, uh, I do think this is a very strong season. I mean, I, I love the show. It was just more, I'm so in love with our central four teens yeah. that every time the story wanted to move away and look at like some of the elders and other storylines, I was just like, where am I for? Yeah, I totally get that. At the same time, I I have to say, like, when the aunties go on the road. Oh, I love that episode. It's yeah. so good. <laughs> mm -hmm. And and literally, I had texted you the episode before because it was like this emotional breaking point where Alora, yeah. uh, her grandmother dies, and it was really emotional. And I, it felt like the show was starting to come back to a place that I personally felt more comfortable and invested in. Yeah. And then we've got that episode where I was like, well, now I just got to eat my own foot because <laughs> this episode is entirely dedicated to the aunties. And I thought it was a blast. Oh my gosh, it's so funny. So it's the annual Indian Health Service IHS conference. And it's where they meet up with, you know, other Indigenous folk from across the country and people mm -hmm. who work in the same line of work as they do, right? And uh, But it's not about that at all. It's, it's about, about hooking all. up and getting <laughs> wasted and just getting, I think, time away from the responsibilities that they have as adults. And it's so much fun to watch these characters who we, we know a little bit of, but really get to do a bit of a deep dive into them and see how childlike, how how child at heart they are. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I loved the way we saw them come together as friends again. And there's been like this fracturing since mm -hmm. uh, Alora's mom died. And so it was just a really, it was a really rewarding episode. And it's funny because typically I'm the one who complains about too much grown up content in these right. shows, right? But <laughs> there's something very magnetic about the aunties. I just really enjoyed them very, very much. Well, I thought it was also a really valuable episode. Like when you look at its placement within the second season, there's nine episodes. So this is just past the halfway point. Like it's the episode that starts off the back half of the season. And it confirms this idea of generational trauma where there was a previous friend group 
comprised of five people and then mm-hmm. one of them dies and it ends up fracturing the group sending them off in their own directions they blame one of the aunties who has left and you know they they like to say that her life was somehow easier than theirs because she doesn't have the same responsibilities and you're like oh wow we're doing a really strong mirror treatment of what is currently happening with the kids that are our typically main focus yeah, totally. And I, I think I think you're right. I think it, that's the reason it works so well um, is because we do have that sort of that constant echoing in place. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't want to keep being like, but also my favorite episode was, but also oh. my favorite episode. Mm-hmm. Yes. There's basically I think there's a solid three episodes in the center of the season that are all very different from our usual episodes. Mm-hmm. And it starts with that episode where the aunties hit the road. Right. And then there's the episode decolonativization. <laughs> <laughs> where the the, so the, the kids are all forced to go to the Native American Reclamation and Decolonization Symposium Youth Summit, which oh is boy. called NARDS for short. <laughs> <laughs> and they get stuck with these two online influencers as they're what a couple themselves. of dum dums this pair are. <laughs> I I love that the show is always willing to poke fun at Indigenous people as much as it uplifts and celebrates them. So yeah, the, these influencers. Are are <laughs> you look at them and you can feel everyone rolling their eyes yeah one of them refers to himself as a young elder which makes <laughs> everybody cringe honestly it's so so good and um obviously we get a bunch of stuff going on with the friend group so they have kind of um there has been a bit of a fracturing over the fact that alora has gotten close with jackie who mm-hmm. is the one she went off to la with and you know when she came back for her grandmother's death effectively she's also bonded with jackie and that's really threatening to bear so we have this Mm -hmm. whole kind of dynamic going on in the background but there's also like all of these absolutely ridiculous speeches and like Mm -hmm. trust building exercises oh my gosh which we've all done watching willie jack lead cheese to the vending machine so that she could get a pop I have to say, Joe, a few of those exercises reminded me of the kinds of training activities we did back in the day. Just a a little bit. Mm -hmm, Just a little mm -hmm. bit. (laughs) Yep. It's all about communication and trust. Oh, God. So funny. And then the third of that little trilogy of just, I think, gold is the Mm -hmm. episode where Cheese gets taken into foster care. Yeah, this is an interesting one because you and I had very different reactions. I like this for what it tells us about cheese, mm-hmm. or m- maybe just what it confirms about cheese, but I did not enjoy this episode. So I really liked it. I thought it was a strong emotional heart. And I think it's partly because I do like cheese so much as a character. Mm-hmm. But in season one, he is so typically used as comic relief. And right. very rarely do we get to kind of dig into who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically what happens is there's a, there's a police raid and cheese's uncle charlie i think it's his uncle uh, well it's gets arrested this is what we learn is that the relations that cheese has may or may not actually be familial relations in yeah. the eye of the law which gets him into a lot of trouble so when his maybe uncle gets arrested it's just the guy that he's been living with mm-hmm. he gets arrested for pot possession and then who he thinks is his grandmother is revealed to not be his grandmother so he ends up in limbo and has to go to this like boy foster home and it's another episode i think one thing that this series does really 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 well Mm -hmm. is to take the piss out of well-meaning white people oh boy (laughs) (laughs) because the foster dad is like he's 
between this sort of relationship of like, I want you guys to see me as a father figure, but also mm-hmm. I'm an authority, but also I'm cool and fun. And like, you never know which of those guys you're going to get. And right. so Cheese mostly kind of stands on the outside. But unlike the other boys in this foster home that he's in, Cheese has this really close friend group, right? Mm-hmm. Who are trying to like, they want to bust him out. And he's like, I don't actually want you to bust me out. I want to do this the right way. And it was a really interesting episode, I think, for seeing... You know, we've already seen kind of like the pressures of getting decent health care and all Mm -hmm. in season one, we see a lot of that. But here we see the impact of the foster system on Mm -hmm. these kids and the ways in which sort of non-settler defined relationships are just not legible to the state. And I I just thought they did it in a really effective way. And of course, there's a really happy ending for Cheese on that episode, which Mm -hmm. felt like a really good payoff because thinking about him stranded in that weird house was just a bit more than I could bear. Yeah, and I think that's where I ended up landing. So there's two sort of principal guest spots this season. So Megan Mullally shows up in season two as a well-meaning white woman who is living by herself after divorcing her husband. And they give her a lot of screen time and let her do a bunch of quote-unquote funny things because Mm. she's Megan Mullally. And I didn't like that episode. (laughs) (laughs) And then here we've got Mark Maron as this foster group home kind of surrogate father figure. And all of the stuff about him being in recovery and forcing the boys to go through it and how none of them want to. And they're all terrible I I think this may have been when I texted you and was just like, this is edging into (laughs) trauma, sad porn. Mm. And maybe it's just because you and I are intimately familiar with these kinds of situations, thanks in part to some of the indigenous texts that we've read for the show. But this felt like it was hitting too many of the same familiar beats. And I... I love cheese. I don't want to see him in this situation. I was rightfully aggravated, but it felt it felt a little cheap to me it felt Mm. like the show was trying to punch up emotionally by putting this into this situation i knew it was going to be repaired in some way because the show isn't mean in that regard but i just didn't enjoy spending time with these other boys seeing this situation because we've seen it before and because i knew it was a temporary thing so it just felt yeah emotionally manipulative but I I agree with you on all counts that this actually was a great showcase for the actor for giving us better insight into cheese seeing him taken out of his bubble and having to adapt to this new situation and you know he makes an improvement in this situation yeah, of he, course he does <laughs> he, of course because that's who cheese is that's who yeah. the character is so I I do like what it gives us but I didn't enjoy watching the episode I think that's fair. I think that's totally fair. I um, I think that the cheap manipulation worked for me here, and so I okay. forgive it. Um, <laughs> I also think it was useful as an emotional catalyst because this is the first time we see Cheese open up about his relationship with Daniel. You know, right. um, some of the other characters, like Willie Jack gets that episode in season one. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Alora is always in her always. feelings about Daniel. So yep. to get cheese to finally connect there has a really good payoff i think in episode 10 Mm -hmm. so for me it was worth it but i do get what you're saying yeah and and if nothing else this is a good lead into episode 209 which is principally from willie jack's perspective but is all about how 
this friendship between the four of them is worth saving, regardless of how they feel about the loss of Daniel, they they need to work at it and recognize its value. Because when Cheese goes into this new situation, and he doesn't have that friendship, I think it it helps him to appreciate, oh, we do have something special, Mm -hmm. we need to make sure that it lasts. Yeah, can we talk about the teacher in episode nine of this season? So uh, for those who haven't watched it yet, in episode nine, the teacher returns these letters that they wrote to their future selves when they were mm-hmm. freshmen. And the te- this this made me so mad. I was just oh like, why would you do this? Why would you do this? So at the end of class, the teacher's like, Willie Jack, can I talk to you? And she's like, okay. And so she goes up to the front of the room and the teacher's like, uh, yeah, so you're his cousin. So I thought you'd want Daniel's letter. And I was like, well, that's not... Mm-hmm. find an adult find an adult yeah it's a time capsule <laughs> exercise from a couple of years before about what they hope to have like the hopes and dreams that they have for the future and yeah this teacher just gives it to a family relation and obviously this is going to have devastating impact i love that the show had the patience to make us wait an entire episode before they revealed the contents of the letter yeah For me, this is the strongest episode of the season. Willie Jack is fantastic. Like, I think this is an absolutely underrated performer. Oh my god, she's so amazing. She's so amazing. And this is the second time when the season's sort of most emotionally Mm -hmm. compelling episode has rested on her shoulders. It was the same thing in season one. And I'm just so fascinated by how... Willie Jack is not seem to be a big like you know you watch the press for the show you watch the trailers like mm-hmm. she's not a featured performer like no. Alina Alexis is I mean I think the show sadly recognizes okay Devery Jacobs is the biggest star yeah. she's incredibly photogenic so is Defero Wunatai and I I think it's trying to play the conventional game to white audiences by mm. saying, like, look at these hot indigenous teens. Don't you want to see them get together? Which is yeah. totally doing a disservice to the show. But thankfully, I think critics have so lauded it uh, for its sensitive treatment, its representation, and so on. I think people are kind of getting over that. But yeah, mm-hmm. like to me, Lane Factor as Cheese and Polina Alexis are really picking up a lot of emotional support like they are doing the work on this show and i hope that people are recognizing them for it yeah i hope so too because and i mean yeah i just i'm i'm blown away by this episode in the same way that i was blown away by the hunting trip episode in season one yeah for for me this is a stronger episode than that one i really like that one for what it told us about both the character as well as laying the foundation for daniel because at that point in the the show we knew who daniel was but we didn't really understand Mm -hmm. the depth of what had happened uh, especially on people who weren't bear or laura Mm -hmm. and here you know this is an episode that should not work because we spend the majority of the time with quote-unquote not the two main big stars of the show Mm -hmm. so we're spending it primarily with willie jack and a new character who we have literally never met before hockty who is daniel's mom or willie jack's aunt and she's played by lily gladstone who i just saw in a sundance film called uh fancy dance and can't recommend it enough the storytelling is a little bit like straightforward it's basically about she plays an aunt in that one as well to 
her niece and the the mother or her sister has gone missing. So it's a, a kind of dark road trip movie where you mm. already know the outcome is going to be bad. But she's a like a formally convicted felon, and she's trying to be there for her niece. And it's really, really good. She's amazing in oh, this cool. movie. So when I see her show up here, I'm already primed. Yeah. And she kills it. Like, she kills it. Lily oh. Gladstone is so good. And the relationship between her and Willie Jack in this, like, Brenna, I'm not even... You hear me? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Brian and I cried through this entire episode, like ugly, ugly crying, because it is so wonderfully acted and just so beautiful, so emotionally resonant. That scene where all the elders appear mm-hmm. behind Willie Jack, just full on ugly cry. Mm-hmm. It's huge. It's a huge episode, and it's such a beautiful, you know, in this place. It, it, I don't think we've made it clear that. Willie Jack goes to visit <clears throat> Hawk D in prison. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's this sense of abandon at the beginning of the episode. Mm-hmm. Hawk D tells us that, well, sorry, we learn that Hawk D is no longer practicing as a medicine right. woman and that um, there's, a, there's a spirit who wants her to reconnect with her faith, but she refuses. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's she's mourning her son she's she finds it too difficult and when she sees willie jack for the first time she's not happy about it no. because willie jack looks so much like daniel willie jack mm-hmm. reminds her so much of daniel as a person and so the arc of the episode is as much about hockey's return to faith as it is about willie jack mm-hmm. finding the guidance that she needs not in the end from hockey but from within herself it's such a beautiful episode. These two mm-hmm. powerhouse Indigenous women actors carrying the episode. I just um, mm-hmm. is phenomenal, and I want. I just, you know, it's so funny because I think it was the second last episode where Willie Jack had so much to do in the last season as well. Right. And I just think yes. like, stop saving Willie Jack till episode nine. Yeah, like I mean, <laughs> obviously the show knows exactly what it's doing because they're trusting this young actor to basically just take on the entire episode at a pivotal moment in both of these respective seasons. Mm -hmm. It's funny because I think it's easy to write off the character as sardonic one-liners. And I don't know, like this shouldn't be a star-making performance because the character could be perceived as very slight, right? Yeah. Uh, Principally comedic relief. And yet so much of the success like the emotional arcs of both seasons has rested on her shoulders mm-hmm. and she hits it out of the ballpark every time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah absolutely wild 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 and then this feeds into our finale right yeah and it's a beautiful structure right because again we have our we have our most emotional episode leading into a beautiful resolution with you know mm-hmm. enough open end so that we know a season three is coming but a sort of emotional resolution for all four characters and everything they've been through this season. So they do finally make it to California because that's in Daniel's letter and it sort of reinvigorates their desire to hit the road and go to California. And literally everything goes wrong. Mm-hmm. Everything As you knew goes it wrong. Would. <laughs> <laughs> so they end up borrowing a car from Kenny at the salvage yard, um, which gets stolen. They, mm-hmm. I mean, everything goes wrong, but they make it to the ocean, which is the thing that Daniel wanted. Daniel wanted to see and feel the ocean. Mm -hmm. And so 
they get there and they have like this beautiful moment that's both about connection with each other, but also finally mourning Daniel in a way Mm -hmm. that they haven't been able to. And, you know, it's, I think anybody who has been affected by the death of a loved one will find this episode emotional, yes, but also like healing. I I found it a very, a very generous approach to the experience of grief and one that invites the viewer into it instead of sort of being kind of a an experience just for the central characters. And I, I really loved that about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's this moment where they wade out into the water and they're holding each other. And then you suddenly realize that Daniel is there with them. Yeah, it's, uh, it's real good. <laughs> it's extremely well done. And it's the kind of thing that in the hands of a different director, in the hands of a different writer, could have felt really cheesy, could have felt really over the top. But it's very fleeting. Like they're in this sort of group hug and you can tell it's just the four of them. And then mm-hmm. the group hug, the camera sort of circles around it again and Daniel is there and he's talking to them. And then the camera circles around again and Daniel's gone. And it's it's extremely effective, extremely evocative, but never feels like, it never feels like too much. And of course, Daniel's presence is throughout the series, which is important and 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 helpful for his presence to appear now without that I think would have felt like too much but Mm -hmm. instead it's just really it's just really quite beautiful and then we find out that Alora after all of this Alora wants to get back home she doesn't want to leave Kenny in the lurch she Mm -hmm. wants to take a car back she wants to kind of get it right this time yeah she wants to be with the responsible one and it's Bear who doesn't want to go back and that's our twist at the end Bear says he's not going back and then that's it so We'll see where we head for season three. It's nice to have them all back together. We were both very anxious at the end of season one that this group had split up and what that was going to look like. So, yeah, and I'll I'll confess that starting the season with the group kind of separated. We've used the word fractured several times in this episode, but I think it's an apt descriptor. It's it's not easy. I think the show realizes that. This is something that they have to do and that we are probably going to be a little resistant to it, which is why we we get the gang back together by episode three, episode four. But I mean, we've not talked very much about Jackie. I do think that the show has some interesting plans in line for this character. I would like to see a little bit more because right now she still seems to be used as a bit of a foil between Laura and Bear, but also uh, with the relationship when her and Willie Jack. Yeah. Willie Jack Jack hates her. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. There's an episode, there's a moment in that decolonativization episode when um, they're supposed to be doing a trust fall and Willie Jack is like, she just straight up drops. Mm-hmm. Jackie, which of course leads her to s- discover that Jackie is living through and processing trauma that is not at all dissimilar to her own. And so, yes. you know, Jackie provides this useful foil as like someone who is going through a lot of these same emotional beats. And she has friends, right? She's in the the sort of other gang, but mm-hmm. their their relationships are clearly not as in sort of intensely held together as right. our protagonists. And so in many ways, Jackie's kind of doing it on her own. And and Alora really feels for her, and that's that's mm-hmm. sort of the the core of their relationship. Yeah, and I I like seeing that get explored a little bit because Alora was very resistant to Jackie initially in that first season. So the show 
obviously understands how to you know it's a, it's a fairly straightforward television device where you mm-hmm. have people who don't like each other have to spend time together and then they come to realize we're either more alike than we realized or you're a human being and I should treat you as such so I I have hopes for Jackie in season three but I wonder Brenna like maybe we can sort of pull back and do a bit of a snapshot so we've now got two seasons of mm-hmm. the show how do you feel because i know we we had criticisms of the show uh not depicting black indigenous characters mm-hmm. in season 1 definitely feels like the show course corrected and addressed that in season 2 in definitely. a couple of different ways yeah do you feel like the show is still having that kind of effect like is it changing the landscape of television or is this still just the show is getting high praise because it's still the only show that is really dedicated to presenting indigenous characters in a complicated, nuanced light. Yeah, I think it's a good question. I think there's always the concern when a when a show is as successful as Reservation Dogs has been, and like we should note that the critical consensus around season two is actually even stronger than it was around season one. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it went from having a, an eighty three on Metacritic to now a ninety three. Mm-hmm. We're seeing the efforts that Sterling Harjo has made around things like representation of different kinds of indigeneity really being mm-hmm. sort of celebrated by indigenous critics. And we're also seeing the emotional resonances of the show and the depth of the characterization finding praise with all audiences. Mm-hmm. At the same time, <laughs> we're looking <laughs> at like a shrinking media landscape again, where as tech companies are contracting, we're seeing screener, oh we're seeing screening services collapsing, merging, yep. flattening their offerings. And oftentimes, diverse storytelling is the first thing to go. So we've seen yep. the cancellation of Rutherford Falls, for example. It's not fair to reservation dogs and the skill of these performers mm-hmm. for them to have to be everything to everyone because they're the only mainstream yep indigenous story that is a hit yeah like it's a full year later and we're literally having the same conversation yeah yeah exactly and i think that that is that's just really it's just really really unfair to the creative process that the show goes through right because they really have to mm-hmm. continually sort of they're carrying the baton for everybody yeah and they have to be attentive to like all the, all the critics all the time because there's nothing else out there and i think that um that's a lot of weight for a show to carry mm-hmm. and i hope that sterling harjo and the other creatives behind the show don't feel like they have to do right. everything all the time because what they're doing already is really really good yeah it's interesting because in some ways There were a couple of episodes here that I didn't entirely care for. Like, I will recognize that the cheese episode is integral to both the character as well as the the friendship arc. So I'm not going to say that that is a bad episode because it's just one that I personally didn't care for. I won't lie, Brenna. I I thought the episode where um, Officer Big goes on his trip and discovers a ridiculous group of white people who are undergoing an initiation by basically molesting catfish i was like this is an amusing episode but again i kind of think it's placed in the wrong section of the season like yeah it feels like a weird i was gonna say it comes right after what i was saying with those three kind of key episodes like one two three the aunties going on the road the very funny youth summit and then Mm -hmm. the cheese episode and 
in many ways, I think we're trying to defuse from the cheese episode. With I think so too. Yeah. This, but it's it's a lot. I did like seeing Dear Lady come back though. Sure. I think the show has a good sense of how to balance its dramatics and its comedy. And in most episodes, I feel like it's actually pitched perfectly so that even in a sad moment, there's a laugh. Like in Offerings, that really great episode where Willie Jack goes to visit uh, Daniel's mother, you know, the uh, spirit that Hawk Chi is seeing who wants her to become involved and get back to her medicine is so playful and fun. And I think that's a really good way of using comedy to diffuse drama or tension or elevate it and make it actually more impactful. And then you get this episode like the the officer big trip kind of one. And it feels just so much more slight because we're Mm -hmm. just having a kind of wacky adventure. And I appreciate that there's probably opportunities and maybe even a need for all of those kinds of different episodes. It's just that the show to me is so good at doing the emotional comedy stuff that when it just goes comedy, I'm like, but you could have given me the other thing, which I think is so much better. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It has the capacity to be so complex that the the truly wacky episodes, which in another series might be the standout because they are so funny. I mean, that episode is so funny. Right. Um, But because we know what the show is capable of from like an emotional perspective, it just, they land a lot flatter than they should Mm -hmm. probably yeah and i don't know like maybe that's also the sort of whiteness in us Mm -hmm. right where we're craving like i love the episodes that offer me insight into indigenous characters in ways that are more challenging than what we would conventionally get on just a standalone film right because the show has the capacity to build over the course of seasons and episodes, right? So my emotional investment in the arcs, in the characters, in the journeys, even in like the teachings and and the different types of indigenous characters we're seeing, it's so heightened compared to a two-hour movie. Yeah. So I'm just like, give me all of that. That's what I'm craving. But I don't know if it's just like me as a well-meaning white ally. <laughs> I do think it's worth noting that we see two of the actors moving into writers' roles on the show this season. Yes. So, uh, Devery Jacobs is has a co-writing credit on the episode where Alora's grandmother dies, mm-hmm. and Dallas Goldtooth, who plays the the spirit that sort of haunts slash bothers mm-hmm. <laughs> slash doesn't really help bear. Um, he writes two of the episodes or co-writes two of the episodes in the season. Dallas Goldtooth mm-hmm. and. I think that it's interesting, you know, as we think about how the show is going to grow and expand, you know, Sterling Harjo is clearly not precious about creative control on this right. show, by which I mean, he he invites new voices in mm-hmm. here in season two. And I, I hope we see more of that because I think there's, you know, there's opportunity for, for more voices. I, I mean, I really love the episode where Alora's grandmother dies, which sounds like a horrible thing to say, but I think that that, <laughs> that episode is handled really beautifully, even as it's yes. probably the darkest episode of the season. Um, and I think it's neat to see, you know, Devery Jacobs moving into a writer's role there, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even the finale, which is typically when you would see a showrunner step in and say, I'm the person who guides the ship. I'm going to make sure that this gets to port correctly so that we can set up a new season or or wrap things up and offer closure and catharsis and that kind of stuff it's not written by him it's actually written by an indigenous poet tommy pico so 
I think you're right that uh, Sterling Harjo, he's very comfortable relinquishing control because he's trusting of the people that he's hiring to do the job well. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that it shows, I think that it also shows in the freedom that he gives our main cast to to do what they do with the characters. I think I think there are a lot of strengths in this series. And as I say, I just hope that the weight of being currently like, as far as I know, the mm-hmm. only mainstream show that's yep. getting these kinds of ratings anyway with a with an indigenous cast and and crew i i just hope that doesn't weigh the show down you know mm-hmm. that's a lot of pressure and they sterling harjo has certainly surpassed any kind of expectations of, of what the show should be able to deliver to this point so yeah i hope that continues yeah i mean if nothing else season two confirms that he can handle constructive criticism but mm-hmm. also continue to execute at a level of quality that is frankly quite stunning so i i'm hopeful that he will be able to continue to do so and i hope that people continue to value the work that everyone on this show is doing because it's hard to understate that this is still a milestone tv show Mm -hmm. and in some ways that's disappointing because it shouldn't be it shouldn't have to bear the weight of all these expectations and yet it is doing it so well that I hope people continue to realize, oh, this is valuable. We need to continue making the investment in this. I'm I'm happy that we're recording this at a point where we can say we know for sure there's a season three coming. Yes, and I'm so excited for it. But let me just say, more cheese, more Willie Jack, more <laughs> cheese, more Willie Jack. <laughs> right? <laughs> they can carry these emotional episodes. So clearly, uh, let's, yeah. you know, the, the reality is, though. With these 10 episode seasons, they have to be so tight. I think that's another reason why the Officer Big episode feels out of place, because you know mm-hmm. how little time you have with these characters each season. Right. Yeah. I mean, I know I know it's not going to, but man, an expanded season. I could see it. More more characters, more development, more storytelling. There's so much in this community of characters that have been created here. Just wonderful. Yeah, you know, and, and maybe I'll make one final point and then we can move into some YA bingo, but I've appreciated particularly once I finished the season and had the opportunity to look back with hindsight. You know, I didn't love all of the creative choices. I didn't love how sometimes we moved away from the teens so that we could focus more on the broader community. But I do think that the show is interested in expanding its point of view to focus on basically how the res is an entire generation of of different uh, relationships and communities and families so even though I don't always love some of the attention that we're giving to some of these like adult characters, I think the show is interested in presenting this as a fulsome community and it rightfully then wants to say, okay, well, what is the impact on elders, on adults, on, you know, side characters and so on. So I think it's something I have to process and accept <laughs> as much as I I love the teens and I want to spend all my time with them. I think the show does have grander ambitions. I agree. I also, I just want to put in a final plug to remind everybody that Sarah Podemsky as Rita is mm-hmm. amazing. Bear's mom <laughs> is my favorite adult character. And you got to watch that auntie's episode. It's just so good. <laughs> it's really good. Yeah. <laughs> when she is like putting the smoke up her. <laughs> <laughs> it's There's, so good. I mean, 
This is not a G-rated show, and I I applaud it for that because there are some really funny adult-oriented jokes on the show. Totally. Absolutely. (laughs) Okay, Brenna, let's do some YA bingo for season two of Reservation Dogs. Okay. Bingo! Not a good bingo. So we know how much I love the show, so I don't feel bad starting off with kind of a negative note, but stunt mm-hmm. casting in the worst possible way for Megan Mullally. Oh my God. And Mark Marin, because I don't think he, he's very Mark Marin-y and I don't, I did not enjoy. It's. It's fine. <laughs> it's, it's just interesting because I actually, we talked last time about how I thought the Bill Burr episode in season one actually worked really well. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's because it was the, it, that's the only uh, sort of famous guest star in season one, right? So I think so. Yeah, yeah. For some reason, that didn't that didn't bother me. It didn't grate the way these two grate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It it felt very much like the show has gotten big, and now we can attract this kind of talent, or people have requested to come on because they're fans of the show, and yeah. I like that. But my impulse would be to say no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Megan Mullally, stop it, stop it, no. <laughs> or or don't give them the spotlight just because they're a featured guest star. I think that was my problem in particular with the Megan Mullally episode is that's like the first episode of the season, isn't it? And it was just too much um it's too much episode energy. Two, but okay. yeah, it was it was just a lot, like so much time dedicated to her and you're like, I'm good. Yeah. I'm totally. fine. Thank you. Hundred <laughs> percent. Um, obviously we have a dead body. Actually we have mm-hmm. many this season. Um many, many. many. Um so I'm going to also go with supernatural, but I'm going to say it respectfully. And I'm going to say it specifically to do with the spirits who come to guide mm-hmm. um, Willie Jack and Daniel's mom. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we do have a female writer, at least one. Nice. Yeah, we do. Absolutely. And director, I think, this mm-hmm. season. Uh, we've got obviously a big road trip to California. Finally yep. have one that works. Sort of. <laughs> sort of. It Until takes it a couple doesn't. tries. <laughs> obviously good friendships are at the centerpiece of this show without the friendships we would not have the heart mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um i'm gonna say abuse because mm-hmm. what is going on in that group home oh, in yeah. the cheese episode is horrendous it's wild just the whole premise that like this guy is making them go through alcoholics anonymous with him mm-hmm. like making them it's yep. very the dynamic is deeply disturbed. Yeah. And and you know that's the point of the episode, mm-hmm, but at mm-hmm, the same mm-hmm. time it's I'm not going to lie, it's really difficult to watch. It is totally. Uh okay. Could we give some hollow romances to the hookups at the Indian Health <laughs> Services conference? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I don't know. Do you have anything else? No, I don't think I do. And it's interesting because I'm looking at the board and I'm wondering if the show's going to start to address queerness in season three. Yeah. I mean, there is a moment in the Cheese episode where some of the other boys quiz Cheese on, you know, because Cheese is in the habit of doing everything correctly. Mm -hmm. And he introduces himself using his pronouns. Mm -hmm. And of course, they take the fact that he has manners (laughs) to mean that he might be queer. (laughs) Yeah. And I could potentially see them going down this road. I don't think they will. I I actually wouldn't be surprised if it's revealed that Willie Jack is actually two-spirited. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I wondered about Jackie's character too. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. yeah. I mean, we're we're playing on some basic stereotypes, but the totally. way that they are coded yeah. is, you know, there's a reason why we tend to associate stereotypes with certain types of characters, orientations. Totally. Yeah. 
Um, okay, so a good smattering. We needed the chosen one to make a line, and it didn't come together. It did not come together, but you know what? I'm not so mad good, about it. It doesn't have to give us lines. <laughs> no, it does not. <laughs> All right, Joe. So we are leaving Oklahoma and heading to Australia next week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're coming in strong with, as we promised, the first of many international texts. I'm excited because we're actually talking about an adaptation. So we're going to be talking about the book, Jasper Jones, but then also its filmic adaptation. Yes, and thanks so much to listener Tony for this suggestion. It's going to be a fun one. Really excited. And then I hope that you're reading ahead because hot on the heels of Jasper Jones, we're going to be heading back to book club with A Cuban Girl's Guide to Tea and Tomorrow. It is a fast and delightful read. And just, well, yesterday in the time that we're recording this, but, you know, recently, um, <laughs> Naomi just announced the sequel. So we'll be able to talk oh. a little bit about that, too. Nice. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And bear in mind, folks, that uh, obviously we would love to hear from you about Book Club. Brenna will tell you how to do so in a moment. But we are also opening the floodgates. We would love to hear from you on a weekly basis. So if you have watched Reservation Dogs, if you want to shoot us a quick message, an email, a tweet or something like that, we are looking to do kind of mailbag episodes where we respond to your feedback with a quick turnaround. So uh, if you have any thoughts, let us know by the end of the week. Yes. So if you're getting in touch with us about reservation dogs, or you're getting in touch with us about book club, or you've got some anticipatory thoughts about Jasper Jones, all good things to write in about. You can find us on Twitter at HKHSPod or on the hashtag HKHSPod. Joe, where do they find you? I can be reached at B, still my remote, and that's the letter B. And I'm at Brenna C. Gray. That's Gray with an A. And as always, the best way to get in that long form material, you know, Twitter threads are great, but email is better. HKHSpod <laughs> at gmail.com. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So everybody knows what they're reading and watching. And I'm going to go have like just another little emotional moment for Willie Jack and Cheese. <laughs> and uh, I will see you soon, Joe. All right. I will uh, see you on them, their Australian pages and screens. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye.